Welcome to the Battleground Wisconsin. My name is Matt Brusky, and I'm the Deputy Director here at Citizen Action of Wisconsin. And welcome to another week from beautiful, springy Wisconsin. We have our other panelists, which means Robert Craig is with us, the Executive Director here at Citizen Action. Robert, good to have you. Happy spring in Wisconsin, everyone. A beautiful time of year here with all the flowering trees and plants and just appreciate how much lusher it is than the Sun Belt, which has gotten a undeserved reputation as, as utopian from a natural environment standpoint. It's just gorgeous in the spring in Wisconsin. So Woo! Robert starting the show off, taking a shot at the Sun Belt. Now, I it's let's lean into you're right, Robert. Wisconsin's gorgeous this time of year. It's uh it's really fun as everything turns green and the birds, the birds, oh, hearing the birds and all the animals. It's just, it's fantastic. So folks, we're, except we're going to, except for one bird, the red winged blackbirds like to attack joggers and runners and the, the males do, and they like to put their nest right along oh, go the get trail. Them. Oh, I'm a big fan of those birds. No, I'm kidding. I, I support the runners as a former collegiate <laughs> runner. I am not endorsing birds attacking humans, although maybe I am. Um, folks, we're going to start the show by reminding you again, we are having a Brewfest fundraiser on Wednesday, June 22nd in Milwaukee at our new office, which is basically 47th and Valit Street. Really, really want to encourage you to come. We're going to keep reminding you about it. We've got links uh, with the podcast where you can go register, sign up, please uh, 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 commit to making a donation and coming. Uh, it'll be great to see people physically, uh, in person, uh, in our new office. So really want to encourage you again, Wednesday, June 22nd in the evening. Uh, so folks, please put that on your calendar. Robert, um, wanted to start the show by talking about an event that we hosted this week. Uh, and uh, around the six month anniversary of the passage of the infrastructure bill, and the reason I wanted to do this is because, and why we wanted to do this event is, you know, we've been obviously pushing for more and feel very disappointed. I think as I can speak for every, for you and for our movement and for a lot of our listeners, it was very disappointing that Build Back Better did not pass. And we still remain hopeful that there will be some type of budget reconciliation that could still pass. That is unclear, and we all know why. Um, that being said, and we have sometimes, you know, because we understand how important it is to make a transition, right, and and keep us from a climate catastrophe. Uh, we have sometimes, I wouldn't say, be been dismissive of the infrastructure bill, but didn't want people to, when we're in the middle of a fight, to get focused on it. But the reality is. There was a lot of money that flowed uh, with the infrastructure bill. Uh, as of six months, the White House released this week that 110 uh, a billion has already gone out the door. Uh, and so we wanted to do a media event to just start to highlight some of the things that are actually in there that are really important and that are happening to Wisconsin. And so we did a media event this week that included Eric Genrich, the mayor of Green Bay. He was able to talk about absolutely critical possibility to expand Amtrak to Green Bay because of uh, money that's in the infrastructure bill. Robert, 
um, tell us a little bit more about, again, why we did this event, why it's so important. And um, we were also joined by um, uh, Mitch Landrew, who is essentially the infrastructures are at the White House, sort of the president's lead on making sure that this bill gets uh, implemented. Uh, Robert, enlighten our listeners. Well, here's the interesting thing. We progressives need to be able to hold two ideas at the same time, okay? Whoa, 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 Robert, come on. I, <laughs> that's tough for me. No, just kidding. We can do that. Okay. We've not done nearly enough on, in the Biden presidency. If you look at all the things that weren't done for decades, and what we need to do to prevent runaway climate change, what we need to do to actually close the income gap and actually create true racial equality in this country. Uh, I, I could go on and on, okay, our health, our tattered for-profit healthcare system. Nonetheless, strangely enough, between the American Rescue Plan and the bipartisan infrastructure law, a lot more has been done than has been done in decades. And part of the challenge is that it's not one thing. It's not like Medicare, Social Security, where, okay, it's this simple thing, I'm going to get this. It's a whole lot of different kinds of investments in different areas. Infrastructure, even by the restrictive Republican definition, is a big category. We Democrats and progressive CDs even bigger. And so we have a public, since we're going into an election, and since we believe that the public understanding what's happening in their government is actually a necessary condition for a healthy democracy uh, and also will help those who have achieved it, i.e. President Biden and the, and the Democratic Party, that we have an obligation to get it out there and explain it. And so this was a public education of the media, um, of our activists that are listening to us of, uh, about some of the things there. And I don't think it was on anyone's radar screen that the long asked for expansion of passenger rail up to Green Bay, what is enabled potentially by the bipartisan infrastructure law. And having Eric Genrich, the mayor of Green Bay, who's a long-term ally of ours, back to working close with him in the, when he was a legislator, and having the White House um, infrastructure coordinator, um, who, who Mitch Landrew, the former mayor of New Orleans, explained the bigger picture and, and the two, the former mayor and the current mayor interact. Who, who I, I totally misrepresent. I called him a czar, Robert. That was mean okay. of me. All right. I mean, he, he, uh, some people call him a czar. That special <laughs> term. They seem to, they seem to avoid the title. But I, I would too. Called, I wouldn't want to be everything called, is called right a czar. Now. It's a weird tradition of any anything you're in charge <laughs> of a COVID czar or whatever. Oh, they're right? tough. They're tough, Robert. <laughs> climate czars. Anyway, they're yeah. I don't understand, but that is the, the coordinator uh, Robert. on K Street. And so, and we had Stephanie Bloomingdale, president of ACIO, because really this is structured to try to create high road, high paying jobs. Something even with the investments that occurred the last three decades was not done. The opposite was done, which is part of the reason we have such high income inequality. And we've lost all the equality of the post-World War II period and gotten worse, gotten back to the 1920s. And so we didn't get everything out. We tried to also focus on there isn't enough here on climate, but there's a lot here on climate. In other words, both ideas together. And here's the other thing, Matt, we talked about, which I know you're very enthusiastic about. There are formulas that go to each state 
through various agencies. So Wisconsin will get its share based on income, but, and that's important because state department of transportations, for example, have invested traditionally in fossil fuel economy, not just Wisconsin everywhere. So we have a role in trying to make this investment match up with what Governor Reverse says he wants to do on a climate transition with his clean power plan, which he released uh, last month. But in addition to that, there's grants that can be applied for at the local level, but it requires competition. It requires the writing of good grants. This is where the grassroots activists can work with their local officials, especially their allies, like the ones we developed at Citizen Action, but others, and different communities to say land passenger rail, for example, for Green Bay, to land, for example, for Milwaukee, potentially, a huge investment in upgrading the aging school infrastructure so that it reduces energy costs, it reduces climate impact, and it shows all the kids all these fast growing jobs in the green economy, which they're largely unaware of, and which is one of the places you can really get a good value supporting job. And it's a place that is right now, super white, super older, super male. And we need to change that if we're gonna have any equity impact in the climate transition. And so we talked about some of these things, Matt, but the important thing is, is that Wisconsin get even more if we could win some of these major grants uh, that we can get through through applying. Uh, well, and, 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 and Robert, that that's critical. And I think that's one of the things that I hope uh, folks that are listening to us, especially if you're a local elected official, um, you know, if you have relationships right with the mayor, we're certainly going to try to do some outreach. One of the things that Mitch Landrew was very clear on is it's, you know, this money's a lot of this money in the infrastructure bill is going out and it's some of it's up for competitive bids and it does require communities trying to make themselves aware local municipalities and one of the things that was really helpful we had kate beaton uh the let's just say the top vote getter in the latest spring elections for city council in eau claire also on the media call she was very honest with how there are serious aspirations uh, at the Eau Claire City Council to do big things, bold things, but it's challenging within their fiscal environment. If over the next few years, if we're able to maintain some level of control federally, get some more, get another budget reconciliation bill through, it is going to be greatly important upon our local municipalities, especially where we have progressives elected at city councils and in these areas to, to be working collaboratively to go get a lot of these resources. So for example, tomorrow on Friday, it's going to be announced and this information's out there, but the vice president's going to be talking about, there's going to be a half a billion dollars for clean school buses. Well, those are going to be bids. School districts going to have to go out and get them. We want to be a part of just sounding the alarm, making sure everybody knows, making sure Wisconsin and our municipalities are in the game. Folks, we got to take our first break. We got to. I know it's 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 terrible, but, you know, we got to like breathe, drink some water and we got to let our producer uh, where this thing runs on the radio, run some commercials. You're listening to the Battleground Wisconsin. Welcome back the battleground wisconsin we're we we're talking about the infrastructure bill we're talking about you know it's the six month anniversary this week of its passage a, a, a great deal of the money's out the window but literally nine tenths of it is still not even been appropriated so um folks if you get a chance we'll put a link to the event we did 
give it a listen, but uh, engage your local uh, electeds. This is a, a, an opportunity. We hope there'll be more uh, coming down the pike, uh, maybe even later this year or in years to come. Robert, we're going to switch up gears just a little bit. Um, we're going to talk about the election. We, we spent some time talking about spring elections last week because they're big, right? And this year, who is representing Democratic Party, you know, in these big statewide races and in some congressional races really matters and it's important. And governor's races where there's opportunities. And this week, there was a very important primary in Pennsylvania. We have to talk about it both on the Democratic side. We spent time last week talking about that as it relates to Fetterman. Fetterman won in a landslide. And we just want to say, we hope he's doing well. I think most people know he had a stroke. It's terrible. Sounds like he's going to be okay. We wish him well. We wish him well. We, and we, if you want to know why we wish him well, listen to last week's show. Robert, let's talk about the Republican side of the primary because there's also lessons there for us to be had. Uh, what happened to Trump's insurrectionist? Apparently lost to another insurrectionist. And I think an insurrectionist came in last, followed by an insurrectionist. Actually, Robert, debrief the Pennsylvania Republican primary for us. Well, here, here's the interesting thing to think about uh, the Trump influence. Um, Trump had a, what amounted to an incredible personal defeat in 2020. The Republicans didn't lose House seats. They didn't lose a single state legislature. There was not the party realignment of the kind you had, say, for example, in the Great Depression, right? Or at other times in our history. And so in a way, there wasn't a change in the partisan composition of the country. There was a change in the president. It was a, the, the, and really, getting the Senate was based on Trump's damage he did in Georgia, which made it possible to pick up two seats where we might have only picked up one. And of course, as we all know, Joe Manchin is not really ideologically a Democrat. He really should call himself an independent who caucuses with the Democrats. That would make it clearer. But that is one of the main reasons we haven't gotten. Every Joe Lieberman. He's yeah. Joe Lieberman. There he you is. go. Oh, so, that, that. Oh, that would be such a great nickname. He would not like being compared to Joe Lieberman. I uh, like that nickname. Yeah, watch out for the Joes. So, <laughs> Joe Senators. Uh, so, um, what's interesting is Trump has a, has enough influence within the party to have a huge influence, a Republican Party. So they're between a rock and a hard place. But he is not necessarily popular overall or good for them in general elections. And so we can see in Ohio that we have Mr. Hillbilly Elegy now, this shape uh, shifting former hedge fund managing sleazeball who went from a never Trumper to a Trump Donald's best friend for political reasons. And now we have talking about Tim Michaels. Oh, no, I'm sorry. That's our we can, well, we can get that's our goofball. I'm sorry. doing the primaries that have occurred yet. <laughs> and then we'll get to Wisconsin, which is what people in this audience care about. But what I'm trying to get lessons here. OK. And then we have yesterday, um, not yesterday, Tuesday in Pennsylvania, that Madison Carfor, and I should say, in North Carolina lost, but seems to have been a personal loss, right? That, that it still has to be a Trumpy to represent that party, uh, just not that one. And that callow youth who even fended them, he's so terrible. Uh, but then 
We have a gubernatorial nominee in Pennsylvania, this Doug Mastriano, who is scary. He org helped organize the insurrection. He was there. He organized busloads of people. The state center, he says he talked to Trump 17 times about how to overturn the election, okay? And he won overwhelmingly. And, and there's even an interesting problem that the Democratic nominee, Attorney General Josh Shapiro, ran ads that made it very clear he was the Trump candidate, which probably helped him in the primary because now Josh Shapiro better the heck beat him because the consequences of having him in that swing state is, is that in Pennsylvania, this governor names a secretary of state, they he will, and he said he will, name a secretary of state that will make sure that the Republicans win Pennsylvania no matter what in 2024. So Josh Shapiro is favored to win, but has to win now. But then in the Senate, Matt, you had the strange Dr. Oz candidate that Trump seems to have identified with because they're both TV celebrity, real reality TV types. So do we get Dr. Oz back on TV full time? Is that what you're saying? Well, Dr. Oz, well, I think if Trump has his way, but Dr. Oz looks like the likely winner. There's probably going to be a recount, oh. but unless... Uh, things change dramatically. Listening to the the, the, the the numbers counters go through what's left to count. It doesn't sound good for the other right-wing candidate who is not the Trump-preferred candidate. But I think the lesson here is, is that now what do you do in a general where Matt, now they're going to, Mastriano has to decide whether he's going to run away from Trump. Same with Oz. Trump is telling Oz to declare victory so that he can claim the election stolen if if it if it changes results and Dr. Oz is not, Why not? clearly Why not? come a great up strategy. and decided whether he's going to adopt with no evidence of fraud of any kind uh, the Trump approach and offend his benefactor or whether he's going to try to move a little to the center because he's got a, a, an opponent Fetterman who appeals better to white working class people than most Democrats and most progressives and is mostly progressive on most of his issues, very populist progressive, though he avoids all labels. Love it. Now, I do think we need to push back a bit. There's this uh, ramp coming out uh, among some on the left that we that this Fetterman kind of obsession has to do with our desire to get white working class people. If we want power, we can't keep losing more and more work, white working class people every cycle, especially when their economic interest is to, is, is, is to support Democrats. So I just don't understand the self-defeating view that, that we shouldn't want candidates like Fetterman that can cut across at the whole multiracial uh, constituency in the entire working class. I don't get it. It's like, it's literally, we'd rather be pure than actually have power and that's gonna lead to fascism. That's the road to fascism, folks. Well, I, look, you know, I think there are obviously analogies to Wisconsin. We talked about it as it relates to Fetterman and look, uh, you know, Mandela Barnes and other candidates are running. And we really do think it's important that they uh, harness that populist angst and energy and anger out there around, you know, the corporate control of our economy. And so um, we'll continue to watch that Robert I don't know if there's anything else you wanted to say but we have a lot of stuff to talk about and I wanted to spend some time I know it's been a while but talking a little bit about COVID um, it's there's quite a bit of news this week both as it relates to some information and data on how sort of Trump areas 
have been suffering uh, death rates versus Biden areas, which is interesting. We want to talk about, but it's following up on our discussion last week where we had a million, you know, we passed the million deaths. Uh, there are certainly things in terms of the numbers. It was uh, announced this week that a third of uh, Americans now live in uh, areas of the country where uh, we're back into very high rates as far as uh, COVID infection rates again. Um, and again, Robert, it's not a surprise, right? We, we have very low vaccination rates, if we're honest with ourselves, uh, particularly as it relates to the boosters that I think all the science is pretty clear. It's around five or six months, the stuff starts to wear off. So like, I mean, we're just, I don't think we're being really honest about we're basically unvaccinated and the our one of our biggest hopes is that so many people have had so much covid that like it actually might not spread as bad as it looks but the numbers are are troubling in terms of the trends there and robert it's still largely because most people haven't been vaccinated uh, and then the other thing i want to get your comment on is there was some research that came out this week that said right like if there hadn't been all of this politicization and anti-vaccinization that and more people had been vaccinated at proper rates we would there would have been a 5,000 more people alive here in wisconsin robert uh polarization for profit kills okay this is as killing as poisoning people right directly or 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 frankly outright murdering them as the same outcome and so what we've seen is we've seen incredible levels of unethical behavior by the right and by the right-wing media and by right-wing politicians willing to kill their own base for political benefit. That's number one. Number two, we found out that people do not independently reason, go and do their own research, this kind of happy, you know, malarkey, uh, like they're some sort of independent citizens just reading all the data and making the decision best for them. You've heard all the individualism logic. They even Democrats parrot and a lot of media folks parrot. If there's division, they will tend to follow their side right into death, number one. And number two, we've as a country, because obviously our whole response has been dysfunctional in both ineffective and a pain in the neck at the same time, worst of both worlds, People have just decided, oh, I'm going to I'm just going to act like it's not there. Well, I'm sorry. It's not even fair. Hostages don't really defend themselves. I put their head in the sand. But that's what this is. And it is stunning. I mean, just why you wouldn't wear a mask in a grocery store for 20 minutes like that's some great freedom imposition. And we're not even doing what we need to do. If we just did ads that indicated when you freaking are, are diseased and are unmasked and showed germs coming out like you're dirty, we created disgust about that behavior. But none of that's gone on. And we have progressives and we have progressive media saying, well, people should make the choice that's best for them. Well, guess what? They're infecting other people. That's the wrong frame. It's an ethical frame, actually. So and Tucker Carlson continues, the most popular right-wing talk show host, to question the vaccine. And Matt, you could not be more right. The, the, the booster shots are available. They're free. And around a third of people have done them. And a lot of those are being to wear off. It is stunning. Yeah. And, and look, I, I, uh, I come at this mostly from the vaccine because I just... I think it's the key. And I, you know, and I think 
until we get vaccination rates up, like this notion that we're going <laughs> to, we're, we're going to have so much COVID sickness that we eventually like have herd immunity is it's, it's a dystopian approach that is bound to get us all killed, whether it's not from COVID from the next virus. And quite frankly, the virus that, that belies of what kind of society and culture we've become. Folks, we're going to continue talking about this, but we got to take a break. You're listening to the Battleground Wisconsin. Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. We're talking COVID. Um, we're talking about um, the just the disparity between the way this country's political divide has essentially um, seeped into our complete ability to think rationally, I guess I would say about public health. And yeah, right. Like if you've got essentially most people barely, we're barely over, you know, in this close to 60% on just one shot, much less getting double vaccinated, much less being up on your boosters. Right. And so most folks really aren't uh, anywhere close to that. So, right. Like all of, all of this is going on, right. And Biden's, you know, certainly been on the right side in this country to try to support vaccination, push it. But Robert, I'm sorry, we continue to have a problem with the president and with the WTO and the patent waiver. Just met again last week. No discussion of it. it hasn't been lifted. And so what we just talked about is a problem here in America, right? Like, we have a corporate controlled situation here where clearly we've been unable to get this uh, trips waiver approved. We've had talked about this a lot. We've had Toby on, we've had other, we've had other people from people's action on Robert. You've talked about this a lot. Uh, Claire talked about this a lot when she was on the show. Here we are a year later, no waiver. And no alternative to the waiver. We've had a lot of, happy malarkey about, oh, we'll just buy enough and how many billion we've donated where without any reference, it's kind of like climate investments or poverty investments. How much is it compared to what needs to get done? And we're not even talking about the fact that we're going to leave a lot of money to get it in arms, even if we got a COVID waiver, because that public health infrastructure doesn't exist in, in the Southern Hemisphere anymore. And it does in this country, given our appalling public health investments in this country, which haven't changed in the pandemic. So we're, we're not acting like a rational species that should actually thrive and survive, not only on climate, but now on COVID. And this is only the beginning of pandemics because global warming will create lots of more pandemics because it's, it's causing animals who try to migrate to survive to interact that don't usually interact. And that's what produces new diseases. And eventually some of those jump to humans and then some of them become like COVID. And so we, it is understandable scientific fact that if we continue to let it run through the, run through the whole world, by the way, it's running through the US too, so we're part of this too, that we're gonna generate more and more contagious variants. And you know what? One of those variants could be a lot more deadly and we could really have the black plague here. And given our wealth, given our capacity to do this, it's absurd. And we've decided apparently that the pharmaceutical industry is just so powerful that it just has to be allowed 
to take major public investments and then make it a monopoly and charge whatever they want for windfall profits, period, and deny it to the rest of the world unethically, which calls into question the whole idea of having private for-profit Wall Street-controlled firms control medicines. And so the Biden administration was greatly credited, rightly so, for reversing our position because we were behind the U.S. and bipartisan, Reagan and Clinton, even having patent protection for pharmaceutical companies. That came from Pfizer. That came from the big pharma in the U.S. And it was done by our elected officials who claimed to represent us. But then it looks like there's either a failure of nerve or some political judgment, but they're being opposed by Europe. So. Uh, the rest of the progressive left don't get all genuflecting about wonderful Germany and Western Europe ours. They're blocking it. The EU is and Great Britain is. But we don't seem to be doing, say, what we're doing in Ukraine, where we're getting to yes, right? Why can't we show the same commitment on the, on the vaccine waiver that we've shown to make sure sufficient aid gets to Ukraine for the, for the uh, fascist Russian and Putin well, Robert, of Ukraine? Why not? Robert, I have an answer for you. I have an answer. And it's, it's we are witnessing firsthand the power of the pharmaceutical industry and we're witnessing the corporate power that is underlying most of the issues that we all face it cuts across a swath of issues and i'm going to use this robert to transition we're going to go back i'm going to reference what you just talked about and apply it to a conversation we're going to close the show with about what's going on in milwaukee and a solution. But before we do that, Robert, need to get your thoughts on the two thirds of Americans uh, in a new poll that came out just today uh, that NPR uh, is talking about endlessly uh, oppose overturning Roe v. Wade. Um, now, it does also show the complexity that, you know, folks are for some rollbacks, both Republicans and Democrats. So it's, there's some complexity there, but fundamentally opposed to what's about <laughs> about to happen. Robert, obviously, you know, want to get your thoughts on that specific number, but want to have a conversation with you about something we talked about and you talk about a lot. And that's just, what does this really mean though, right? Like there's a whole bunch of issues that Democrats um, support that seem to have like 60 to 65, 70% support that it doesn't mean anything in elections, doesn't seem to translate to candidates. Um, you know, Medicaid, there's been that level of support. Smoke and weed, there's that level of support. Uh, uh, paid sick days, there's easily that level of support. Damn, over a decade ago, it won with 70% of the vote in Milwaukee. Robert, what's going on here? So not all, I mean, we have a very... We have an, an audience, some audience here has a lot of political experience, you know, people who have been the state legislature or, uh, or work in government. So they'll know what I'm talking about. But just for all the rest of you who have been activists and who think that your $10 contribution to preferred candidate is going to something, it's going to pay for the consultants that run campaigns. Matt and I together have been in many poll briefings where the your $100,000 polling firm from K Street tells you, here are the top three polling issues. We will run on these three issues. And then the candidate gets killed. So we're playing chess. 
the other side is playing checkers and that they know they can win elections on issues that are only a third popular if there's enough intensity behind them. And they I, I think you I, I think you want to flip that around. But I hear what hear what you're saying. We, How we're playing checkers. They're playing chess. Is that we're what playing were? checkers? They're okay. playing chess. Sorry, I just want to make sure but we're trying to play chess. That's probably my confusion. But, I want to make uh, sure first. First, I want to make sure we're playing the right game. Sounds like we're playing two games. Okay, yeah. Robert, sorry. <laughs> oh, okay. Thank you, Matt. Sure. Uh, they are playing chess. We are playing checkers. It's more than that. So let's take Medicaid expansion, Badger Care expansion. Let's take cannabis. Let's take, you know, the, 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 a woman's right to choose to have an abortion if, if, that, if that's the right decision for her. All of that, right? It's a simple question of, in a 50-50 state like Wisconsin, let's talk about Wisconsin. Are there people who are not going to vote for us who are going to switch votes on the issue, period? And if there are, could we make, is there a way to get them there by the way we communicate with them and present the issue and make it urgent, right? Or are there people who are with us but aren't going to vote, especially in midterm election, who will now vote because this issue was made clear to them and how do you make that case? And if it doesn't do that, then it doesn't impact elections. And what the Republicans and the right are very good at it, figuring out how to maximize their turnout. That's the one thing Trump would do for his people. And then, the, and then he could win if not enough of our people uh, were mobilized to also turn out in larger numbers or he didn't lose the shrinking middle and look, it's beginning to be better understood. We still have a lot of politicians in Wisconsin Democratic side that think there's a huge number of split ticket voters. The numbers show they don't exist. This morning I was shocked. The Reverend Al Sharpton, who's done some good things, but it's very conventional, right? Al Sharpton is saying that the problem with the Democrats is they're, they keep chasing after a mythical swing moderate voter that doesn't exist, and then they lose, and then they don't learn their lesson. That is what's going on here. And so we need, and so I think there might be a way it, to win this election on abortion. But we need to be really clear about figuring out exactly what it is and being disciplined and really creating a clear choice between candidates. So the moderate democratic assumption, we want to model everything and just make ourselves look reasonable and all things to all people. It does not work in a polarized electoral situation. And we are currently at the in the middle of since the 70s, the longest period in American history of simply of two equally weighted parties. There's always gone to one being totally dominant. So this is the condition right now that you have to be able to either increase your own turnout or bring people in your direction in a documented way, or you will lose to the other side, even if your issues are more popular. So Robert, if I'm correct, I believe the uh, NPR poll did specifically speak to that as to whether that would make you more likely to vote. And it does seem to be, as it relates to uh, the Supreme Court, the inevitable ruling we're all expecting on Roe v. Wade would motivate some folks. Probably. We'll see. We'll Let's see. say it could. Doesn't mean it would or you can assume it will. You better cut the issue clearly and make a clear choice. In and organize election. around it and organize yeah. and, and have a strategy around it. I want to just push back in the last 30 seconds here a little bit on what you said. <laughs> I believe what you're saying rhetorically, because I think the energy comes from trying to mobilize the unmobilized. And that's where the world gets changed. And because there's still a lot of those folks and, and it's absolutely critical. And by the way, they're the people that most actually need 
uh, a powerful democracy, there still are persuadable voters who move back. I don't think there's a lot of ticket splitters. I agree with you. I think that's more mythical, but there are voters who do go back and forth and we do need to contest for them. But I want to contest for them on our values and our ideas and challenge them on their othering and their isms and 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 grow with them and 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 go and and com- contest for those voters but on our on our values not some mushy middle and assume that they can't be met with our best thoughts and ideas and intentions as opposed to some poll centered mush um at, so anyway they're often as you know cross pressured yes and often there was a real thing a large thing that was ignored by hillary clinton there were sanders trump voters they wanted big change if they were not given sanders they would not then go to hillary they'd go to the right wing change it was being offered trump look this this is this is for people who live in the real world right like like i do and you know shit man i live in river west my neighbor has concealed carry loves his guns right he's a complicated individual you know what he votes democratic but on some stuff he goes in ways that like shock me but you know what we have to contest right the people are they got all kinds of stuff so anyways we are over time with that folks we got to take a break you're listening to battleground wisconsin welcome back to the battleground wisconsin uh, we are Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. We're also all over Facebook. We are on Twitter. We're on Instagram. Robert, before I um, talk about this is something I'm frustrated, upset with about here in Milwaukee the last week, uh, and I'm not talking about just the shooting. I'm going to talk about the response to the shooting. Robert, I know you have something you wanted to mention around the baby formula fight. Uh, I give you a few minutes. I'll just say quickly, you can see it's the latest of the very effective Republican and right-wing Fox strategy of anything bad is Biden's fault, Biden bad, Biden incompetent, the more sleazy ageist thing they're using, Biden senile, right? Uh, Which really I'm surprised aging groups don't push back on, but people should push back on. Um, But now his fault on the baby formula. And our response is pretty bad on this. I mean, do we really believe that Trump would have prevented this? I mean, we we have this monopolization consolidation that the right has pushed and Democrats allowed to happen where there are only three major suppliers, okay? And a fifth of the supply was uh, taken out of commission by one plant that was poisoning babies, okay? So I guess maybe we wouldn't have a shortage now because we'd be poisoning babies with the Abbott plant in Michigan because they they don't believe in regulation. But Republicans don't believe in the public, the government having responsibility for making sure there's an adequate formula supply because when we go learn that for-profit corporations don't care about that, they care about quarterly balance sheets to please Wall Street, period. Oh. And so it, it, it's like, OK, if we want, we can either decide that there's a public responsibility and regulate these people or even produce it ourselves, or this stuff is going to happen. The brittle supply chain is because of the pro- individual profit-making decisions of each corporation dominated by the incentives they are given by Wall Street, their investors, period. This is created right. by them because they wanted to squeeze out as much profit in the short term and not think about having a resilient supply chain. If anyone's going to care about it, it's just like healthcare. It's us, and we have to use the government, and the right and Republicans won't do that. 
Huh. As Julie Queek Rysavia, one of our old friends, would say, sounds right to me, Robert. Sounds like a sounds like a trend uh, we've been talking about on the show. Um, so I I want to spend the rest of the show uh, first uh, commenting. It's the first time we've had a show since what happened in Buffalo and in Milwaukee. Um, the, the shootings in Milwaukee and, of course, what was just um, straight up racist assassinations, to terrorism uh, in Buffalo. Um, it's horrific, right? It's horrific. The Buffalo thing is just, you know, what do you it is impossible to put into words how horrifying it is and how just awful it is that um, a, a whole just how that makes a whole entire group of people feel and all of us feel that the lack of safety, the proliferations of guns, the hopelessness. Um, and I wanted to also talk about how that played out is in playing out here in Milwaukee. Since we had the uh, shootings and in fact, it were, there were three separate major shootings uh, the, the night of game six uh, after game six in Milwaukee, but a big one, a main one, right, literally a block outside of the Deer District, right in front of lots of police, a security plan that was set up in advance with police and business owners. And uh, and so we're, we're not talking about some random thing where it was out of control, there wasn't police, there wasn't a plan, there wasn't thought, that was there. And yet, yet, for people that were there and the witnesses, it was a just a horrific and tra traumatic experience and lots of guns reported in the air, a clear proliferation of guns, right? It's like if there is ever, you know, a, a clarity around what that's what this should tell us about and what the problem is. And yet. The response has been, well, certainly community leaders have mentioned and talked about the problem of the proliferation of guns, but the reality that they know it's almost an intractable situation. And as new leaders and as leaders of this community, you often feel like you need to respond and do something, right? Well, unfortunately, I believe that the response has been appalling. First of all, like it's all police related, like everything is through the lens of uh, the police chief and more police has been asked for already by the police union in spite of the fact that they admitted that they were all there and there was nothing that they could do about the situation. More police at the scene did not make us safer. They say they want more police now. Oh, so we can investigate. So our solution is throw more money so we can investigate horrific scenes, but not be able to stop them, prevent them, or do anything, right? And then the real response has been, let's blame the youth, the youth. Let's have, let's remind everybody we have this really re retrograde curfew in the first place, and then let's enforce it. Let's immediately blame them, keep them out of the Deer District, which by the way, the beauty of the Deer District has been the amazing amount of Milwaukee's youth who don't want to live in our fucked up world anymore. They don't get our hangups. It's an incredibly diverse group. They, and, and it's one of the few places in this state you can go and actually experience 
the world we want to live in in many ways, right? Minus, of course, what happened. But the approach to go blame the youth, which is what's been going on in this city, is appalling. And by the way, no youth have been actually arrested for any of the shootings that we're now blaming the youth for. And then weirdly, somehow food vendors are part of the problem now as of yesterday that we even inject the food vendors. And it's it, food trucks. It's crazy when the reality is what we really need to be doing is we know this. We need to deal with the proliferation of guns. And until we deal with that, and by the way, that's us adults who failed that, right? And us adults, 20-year-olds and other folks who wave our, were, were arrested, by the way, not, not 16-year-olds and 15-year-olds. So it's just, to me, it's dispiriting to see the response. It's, uh, we've, got, we've got a Milwaukee public school consultant, Tyrone Dumas, calling for martial law in the, this summer. What the hell is going on? What is this response? I just heard Locust Street Days is canceled. What are we doing? Why are we blaming our kids for this? Why? What are we doing? I know it's tough and it's complicated and there needs to be a response, but this is, this is sad. And if anything, right, like um, we were just talking about COVID and all the problems where we don't have trust in science, you know, maybe if we would think and our local leaders would be thinking about how are we responding and investing in a public health infrastructure where we have people out in the neighborhoods talking, communicating, building relationships, building, investing in public health and the things we know are working in Costa Rica and other places where they've done this with a lot less resources. We need to we need to be rethinking about that. That's how you can deliver, better deliver social services, better start to build connections, start to understand where, where there are potential hotspots. Make these investments, not in investigators to investigate after horrific things have happened. Please listen to what the police department said. They admitted they couldn't stop this. We need to find an, another way, Robert. Yes. Yeah, amen to what you said. Look, Matt and everyone. Police don't are a bad band-aid on a wound. Okay? And they're self-interested. In other words, every so every problem they don't solve is now solved by having more of them. You'll notice that they're, they might as well be a for-profit corporation saying, just give us more money and, and, and we'll fix that problem. And then not like the broadband companies, uh, telecom, which have taken more than enough to provide universal broadband and have not done it because that's not their interest. So violence is not the solution to everything. We need to deal with the underlying situation of inequality and supports. And we need a balanced system, public safety system that actually takes care of all of the mental health and all of the housing issues and everything else. Instead, we're going to record evictions and silence from our city leaders. And what this actually does is it's a rinse and repeat. It doesn't solve the problem. We'll bankrupt the city if we increase policing by fourth. Well, let's, let's say we could do that and to exclude everything else then this will happen and they'll want more and more and more until all we have is police and we have less safety than ever before.
And we need to take on the gun issue, but where's the courage on that? I mean, there is no police force that can prevent with a large group of people any kind of armed activity. Now their claim on the youth is, is that it's protecting the youth from being harmed. But of course, since they're offering no solution to make the public feel safer, that's panicked by all of the coverage. That's shameful. That's yeah. shameful to say we're protecting them by right. putting a curfew on them and doing nothing about the actual problem. Right. Absolutely wrong. We need to start investing in solutions. We need to understand that just like in war, a military solution cannot solve all human conflict and problems. Neither can it in policing. And it reminds me of the immigration debate where our immigration policy and our international trade policy perpetuates immigration. It creates poverty in these, and desperation. And our foreign policy creates horrible authoritarian governments over the years, say in Central America. And then we, the, the right politicizes the immigration and gains power from it. So we can continue to do nothing, continue to have the problem. It's almost like the system's logic is to perpetuate the public safety crisis and to claim there is one in order to continue to get money for police. So and to win elections on more police. So listen, folks, um, we need to rethink what public safety is and expand public safety. They can't police can't own public safety anymore. I'm tired of it. We're all tired of it. Right. And so if we want to expand They're public failing, safety, let's they've expand. not been defunded. The funding never happened. They are the ones failing. Let's How come Biden's failing on baby formula, but the police aren't failing on public safety? Why is that? Let's expand what we talk about when we talk about public safety, right? And public health is increasingly a critical, I think, piece. And how it connects to mental health and a whole bunch of other things are part of that. We need to start talking about that. They need to be firsthand solutions and not things we talk about on the side. And, oh, yeah, but we're putting just more cops out on the street front and center. Folks, you're, we got to wrap this up. We're way past time. You're listening to The Battleground Wisconsin. We'll see you all next week at The Battleground Wisconsin.